The Brooklyn Vegan Show is a podcast about music brought to you by the music blog and online record store Brooklyn Vegan. Make sure to subscribe to hear all of our upcoming episodes featuring interviews with musicians and more, and find us 24-7 at brooklynvegan.com, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Hey, I'm BV editor Andrew Sacker, and welcome to the Brooklyn Vegan Show's first episode of 2023. I hope everybody had a great holidays and New Year's and had some time to relax and read all kinds of great year-end lists from 2022. If you need more, we've got plenty up on brooklynvegan.com. We've also got lists of albums we're anticipating this year. And our first episode of the year is an interview with one of my favorite songwriters of the past decade or so, Connor Murphy of Foxing. Connor recently put out his second solo record under the name Smidley. It's called Here Comes the Devil. It's a great record. I highly recommend checking it out. And we talk a little bit about that record in this conversation, as well as Foxing's debut album, The Albatross, turning 10 this year, the upcoming fifth album by Foxing, and a lot of other stuff. It was really fun to talk with Connor, and here's our chat. So, hey, Connor, what's going on? Uh, not not too much. Just uh, I'm here at our, our studio about to try to record some acoustic guitars. Nice. What are you working on? Uh, a bunch of different little things. Um, today I'm going to be working on, uh, uh, just a acoustic thing that I'm going to put out for our, our Patreon. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what it'll be. It's just an idea I had, uh, the other day that I recorded on my phone and now it's time to record it with good, good things, good microphones. What else is sort of stirring in the foxing world right now? Well, we have um, the 10-year anniversary of our first album, The Albatross, is uh, next year. So we've been working on things for that. Um, I don't think anything that is too set in stone, but we have like a lot of different ideas that we're kicking around at the same time. We want to do something special for it because it's an album that, you know, it's we worked a really, really long time on it. And it was like our debut album and it's feels insane that it's 10 years old so we're gonna do something special for that um and then we're trying to we're like baby steps working on the next foxing record um and also putting out we're like you know we all all three of us just kind of write songs and then put them out on patreon every once in a while um and that's that's also very fun. So it's the the thing that I'm working on today is sort of for Foxing because it's on our Patreon, but also it, it's not like it'll probably never become a Foxing song. Uh, mm-hmm. That's usually how how it's been going. Um, right. And then I just put out the Smidley record, so that's uh I've been doing a lot of stuff for that, working on on things for that. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, with the albatross turning 10, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's kind of crazy to think. Um, I feel though, like we're kind of hitting this point now where like all these sort of, I guess, kind of landmark records from like what I guess was the emo revival or whatever you want to call it are kind of like turning 10. Um, so it's kind of a fun time to reflect. Um, so if you would go down memory lane with me, um, yeah take us back to like 
foxing right before that record, like, you know, sort of like playing DIY shows and like kind of getting your footing and meeting other bands? Like what, how would you describe kind of like what foxing was doing, what the scene was like back then compared to like what it would turn into two or three years later? Yeah, man. Uh, Well, right before we put out the Albatross, we were playing all of the songs from the Albatross for a long, probably like a good year or maybe two. Uh, Cause we had written out that album and we had been, we recorded it over. I feel like it was minimum one year of recording uh, because we just didn't have any money and we were all, you know, in college and had other jobs. So we were kind of just um, going to any studio that would allow us to record for either free or cheap. And I think we ended up recording in, I want to say, five different studios uh, because it, was, and it wasn't because we were like, this place has great drum sound. It was like, this place will uh, press record for free. Um, like one of the places was my college, Webster University. Uh, I was going to school there for audio engineering. So it, it worked out really well that we could like have access to a very, very nice studio there. Um, but yeah, it was... Uh, you know, right before it came out, yeah, we played all of these. We played basements and, um, you know, shacks, <laughs> whatever, whatever DIY spot would allow us to play. And we did, uh, we toured with a few bands like Football, etc. and Warren Franklin. Um, I don't know. It was, a, a, you know, we would do these like little headline runs where we would play we would like tour the country and play to like five people at a time at every show. And it was really, uh, (laughs) it's kind of like just a miserable experience that (laughs) was also like this formative thing where you're like, you know, it's where you really find like shame, uh, playing music in front of such a tiny amount of people. So you're like, you play in front of a lot of people when you're at home, like a local show. And then you go out to Pittsburgh and there's like actually one person in the audience that doesn't want to be there that like just accidentally like walked into the room and they're like, Oh, I guess I should stay. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, I think that like looking back at it now, it's like, it really is awesome. You know, sometimes we get frustrated with how, uh, I don't know, like turn out at shows or how well an album does or something like that. But then you look back and you're like, man, it was just to to be able to tell yourself at that time that this is, this is what you'd be doing now. 10 years later is a, uh, I think all of us would be really, really excited at that time. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the bands that were kind of, you know, in your circle back then, like some of them aren't even around anymore. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's so so many incredible bands. And you know, we're kind of used to that in St. Louis. Um you know, St. Louis is so smack dab in the middle of the country where it takes a lot to leave, you know, the closest places around us are hours away. So um and they're not like, you know, you go to Chicago, I guess. Uh but other than that, there's not, you know, you have to drive really far to get to the East Coast or West Coast. Um, so I think a lot of bands here, they make these incredible records and then they just break up and either move away or they, you know, go into different lines of work. 
Um, so we were really used to watching bands that we were like worshipped when we were young, just kind of make an album or two and then just go away. Uh, but it was, I mean, it, it's crazy to look at like kind of the landscape of all of the bands that we came up with and be like, there's really not many, if any of them left. Uh, yeah. Did you ever like hit a point in Foxing's career where you were almost like, okay, I feel like we've like crossed that hurdle of like, like, you know, like I feel like there's like the, um, maybe like you expect a band to make it a certain amount of years. And like, did you ever kind of feel like, wow, maybe we've like cleared that hump of like, we're not broken up. We're still here. I don't know if we ever did or if we currently feel that way. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. I think we've always kind of been a band on the verge of breaking up. Uh, <laughs> it's like, it's not, and not because we hate each other or anything. It's just like, I think we, along with a lot of those bands that we came up with, it's kind of everybody knew with the st- the style of music that we were playing that there was never going to be like a spike, you know? It was never going to be a moment, like a break, where you really become this huge band. We Everybody knew it's like the best case scenario is you just keep growing a little tiny bit each release. Um, and that's that's enough to drive you insane, really, whenever, you know, we put out our fourth album and it was the same thing, just like a little a little bit, you know, of an increase in uh, people coming to the shows or people getting the record or anything like that. It, it, it drives you a little bit nuts because you're like, oh, but we feel like we've really like enhanced our songwriting or like we've made the best album we've ever made. Uh keep feeling that way and you're like so why why does nothing ever feel like a break um and i think when you look at it as a whole you're like that's it's actually i prefer it this way that it's kind of like just a slow incline instead of being like a big spike and then like a huge drop off um you know when you look at a band like i don't like just as an example i always think of like mgmt you know just like enormous success and then like a incredible drop off and now they're somewhere in the middle of that. Um, and like that, that just seems like such insane uh, career whiplash of where you're at. Uh, so I'm kind of thankful that it's like, it's been slow moving. Um, but with that being said, it's like when it's just a little bit better each album um, and the tours get a little bit better, but you're still doing it nonstop. I think it, it gets you to a point where you look back and you're, or you look at your life in the moment and you think like, are we, is this enough for me being 30 years old to uh, feel good about this being my career? You know, like, um, and I think that that happens more and more as you get older. Like uh, I'm getting married next year and it's like, if we're going to have, a family if we're going to have children or anything it's like well it's not really <laughs> my income right now isn't enough to support a child um so it's kind of i think that's i think that's kind of uh, the way we're always feeling is like when i say verge of a breakup it's not necessarily like we're um we're always at each other's throats it's more like we're always like is it is this a sign that we should throw in the towel you know um but again, it's always hard to do that when it's like it gets a little bit better each time. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I feel like I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way because I mean it positively. Um, but I feel like with Foxing specifically, there's like always been this narrative of like, okay, like Foxing did it this time. Like this is like the record. It's like blows away the last one. It's so ambitious. It's going to be such a thing. And then it's kind of like still just for diehards. Um, I tell you, that's uh, <laughs> you're preaching to the choir. That's how, <laughs> you know, I do feel like that like ties in a little bit to your last question. It's like, I think something that happened that was to our disservice really early on and probably, well, I don't know if it's to our disservice. It's probably the reason why we're still a band is that really, really, really early on, like when we put out the Albatross, it was truly, I mean, nobody give, nobody gave a shit about it. It was like not a a big album you know people look at it now and they're like that's a whatever a, a classic of the fourth wave emo or something mm-hmm. it means nothing that's like it's a classic to maybe like 500 people uh but it's like when that happened i think we had enough people in these basements you know that we were playing going like it's so cool that we're seeing you in a basement because i know that you're going to be playing in like a a theater soon or a stadium or something and then the second record we put out same thing we're playing tiny tiny clubs and people are like it's so cool to see you here because you know like in a couple years we're not going to get tickets for less than 40 bucks it would be things like that and it's like you always laugh it off and you're like all right yeah that's funny but i think that does something to your brain where you hear it enough times and you're like this is what we're doing is important and like you know you bite bite off a big thing like uh how near my god we were like we're gonna swing for the fences we're gonna make a long long record and it's gonna be like really experimental and it'll be like you know this is gonna be like a a formative thing that we made it's gonna be the landmark in our our career and then it's exactly what you said it's like a few people come up and they're like wow what you just did there you know that's crazy and you're like oh yeah but then you look around and you're like, nope, it, it's just, uh, it's for diehards is exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, like we talk about the whole emo revival, fourth wave emo thing. I mean, I think like in a way, like I, I feel like Foxing has never really been an emo band. Um, but with the Albatross catching on sort of so quickly with that scene and then like getting Foxing getting lumped with that world and then when you make these records that aren't that, I do wonder if that's like, you know, work to your detriment in a way, like people are expecting you to be a band you aren't. And then when you are being the band you are, the people you should be reaching, they might be like, ah, they're just an emo band. I feel like it's like I, this classic conundrum. Totally. I, I think that, I think, I think you're totally right about that. I think the biggest thing to our detriment has been uh, in a nice way, how eclectic eclectic we've been but in a a more critical way i think the biggest detriment has been how unfocused our discography has been um and again i i really do think of it as both things at the same time it's it's unfocused but that's really because we're human beings and we try to make the most sincere thing that we can which is by nature eclectic it's like you know uh <laughs> our the albatross is a record written by uh, people in you know 18 to 24 uh the draw down the moon is written by people that are 28 to uh you know 34 
something like that. Uh, it's like, you know what I mean? It's, it's really, um, I think it captures the time very sincerely in our lives, each one of these records. Uh, but at the same time, it's not easy to digest as a, a fan. So the only people that really stick around are the ones that really love uh, the songwriting and kind of like look for and take time with each one of the records and think like, what does this mean for the person writing it? As opposed to just like the immediacy that comes with maybe some of these songs. Uh, and as a fan of music, I, I don't really think that I give any artist that amount of attention. Like, I think if I was outside of Foxing, I would look at our records and go like, this is an unfocused mess. Uh, <laughs> you know, I know how much time and effort we put into every single one of these. So, you know, I'm, I kind of scream up at the clouds and I'm like, why doesn't anybody like this? But the reality is people do. And those people are like incredible for giving it so much time and like really uh, caring enough to like pick apart the lyrics and see kind of the um, references or like, uh, you know, I don't know the through lines between each record. It's really cool. Yeah. And I think like a lot of music fans like appreciate if you're just doing what you want to do, even if it's not what like maybe your current fan base wants in that moment, like at least people can come back around to that. They can, you can challenge listeners. They can be like, Oh, I didn't really want like a synth pop record from Foxing, but maybe like in two years they might. But if you're just like, here's the Albatross part two, the Albatross part three, like that can't really become rewarding later on. It can just, it's just repetitive. Yeah. I remember when we were making dealer, um, we were sending demos to, some different people and one of those people um, said something to the effect we have this song on the albatross called Rory that was like our um, at the time like the biggest song from it and when we were making dealer we were like sending these demos to everybody and one of the people um, kind of industry person said I love these these sound great but like really missing like a Rory part two and I remember at the time we were all like what an asshole. Like, why would you ever say that's so stupid? We made Rory already. Why would we want to make a song like that ever again? And it's funny because now I look back at that and I'm like, no, he was like totally right in saying that. He that made total sense. But I mean, we wouldn't go back and do it any different. It's like that's that's just the type of uh band that we've always been and the type of uh I don't know that that that's what we always wanted to do was like innovate the sound that just came before, you know, like the Albatross was kind of the groundwork that we laid. And then every album since then, there's a through line. And the only like the only constant is that it's us making it. Um, other than that, it's like change everything, you know, like draw down the moon is our fourth album, our fifth album, I hope sounds nothing like any of the other ones. Like, I hope it's, it sounds like an entirely different band. Um, personally, that's what I hope. But, you know, uh, yeah, especially because I, I just think that, you know, as much as you can think we are making the most weird, different album imaginable, it's like it's still you creating it. So it's still going to sound like you know, the band Foxing. Yeah. And I think that is something like that's 
very clear and special about foxing. Like I, I think, you know, like if people wanted to hear draw down the moon and be like, Oh, this just sounds like festival indie pop. It's like, but it also doesn't because it clearly sounds like foxing. I, that, that's what I hope. Um, and especially it's like, you know, I think some of the, the broad ways that we describe each of the records, it's like, if you call the albatross, like a orchestral indie record or, or sorry, orchestral emo record. Um, I don't know what people refer to draw down the, I mean, a dealer as just a sad, sad record, <laughs> uh, <laughs> near my God is kind of, you know, experimental, eclectic indie rock stuff draw it on the moon people people refer to you know you you kind of make the generalization about the record as a whole but i always kind of i always feel weird about it when people say something like it's cool that you made a pop record with draw down the moon i'm like i didn't think that we were making a pop record really uh it's like i I think that if you listen to the songs individually it doesn't doesn't really seem that way um but that's, I mean, that's just kind of what happens when it's like, again, you have four records. You can't look at them so individually. Uh, when you get to a certain point, when you get to a decade of music, you kind of have to put them all into boxes and compartmentalize them. Um, and especially when you do that, you're like, yeah, that's why it makes sense that it's so hard to pay, like to uh, keep listeners attention, I guess. Because it's like, I, I can't trust that Foxing will make a record I like because they make <laughs> things that are uh, too different from each other. So I, I do appreciate that in some regard. Yeah, and I think it's true. I mean, I think, you know, I even I admittedly am generalizing, but like, yeah, if you actually listen to all of Draw Down the Moon, it's certainly not all a pop record. I mean, the first single, Speak With The Dead, is like not a pop song. Um well, that's the exact reason, you know, we got a little, we got some flack from people for uh, putting that one out first. And I was, I was the, uh, <laughs> I was the person responsible for saying like, let's put this one out first. Let's put out our longest song with, uh, you know, the most, I don't know, the saddest, whatever. Um, and my reason for doing that was like, I don't want to put out something that is like looked at as a a pop electronic album because it's not that really it's like i think we should showcase kind of uh the really different elements of uh the record as we go i think the only unfortunate thing was that we had to end up putting out um several singles uh it was like half almost half the album was out before the album but that's kind of just like you know again we got flack for that as well but it's like yeah well it's uh we're in a pandemic and <laughs> we can't tour on it. We don't know when we don't know if when we put out this album, we'll be able to play it live. It's like we had to make the rollout be really, really long because of that. Now, have you considered doing the whole sort of like surprise release or no singles release type thing? Or is that just like reserved for a list pop stars based on just like, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, they can afford to do that. Well, that's the thing. I think that's, you know, I, I, um, I would love to, that's all I want to do is put out a record surprise release, like putting out a single or putting out pre-orders. None of that's fun. And that's, I think something that, uh, fans of music 
you know, I don't want to say totally casual fans of music because if you paid attention to pre-orders, you're not <laughs> by nature, not really casual. Um, but I think like a lot of people look at that stuff and they're like, why so many singles or why don't bands just release their album or whatever? And it's like, well, because you just, we don't, we don't have the money to do that. Like we don't, uh, you have to, the amount of time, effort and money that was put into making the thing, uh, especially in the kind of like, uh, totally like, you know, no, I don't know the, the generation that we're in now where it's like he put out a record and it's got like, if you're lucky, like a week of it being new and then it becomes like, okay, now it's just a record that came out this year. Maybe it'll make a year end list or something. Um, it's not, I mean, even when we put out our first two records, it wasn't that way. It was like, Oh, it's a new record for like a calendar year. Uh, and you could, I don't, I don't know. Now it's like each time you put out a single, it's a release that buys you kind of like a week of people caring in some regard. Um, but people look at like essentially like a single the same way they look at a, a full length. Uh, again, a generalization, but you know, I would, I would love nothing more than to put out the whole you know whatever lp5 is i would love to put it all out just like as a surprise like here's the whole thing uh totally you know you get no precursor to it to know what what's coming it'd be awesome uh and i think we could do that it, it just becomes a thing of like recognizing hey that's going to essentially like cost you a lot of potential you know um impact and money uh, which I, is easier to do if you look at the whole thing as an art project and not at all like it's your career um, and not count on <laughs> not count on it for paying rent or whatever <laughs> um, but maybe by the time we do LP5 that'll be the way we're looking at it it's just hey let's do this because it's artistically what we want to do and not um, because we're relying on it for money Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're not even the first artist I've spoken to for this podcast that has said like exactly that about like, it's like you're lucky if your record is almost I, I just we just did an episode with Rich from the Sound of Animals Fighting. And he was like, even Beyonce is lucky if her record is like more than the one week. And he was like a little bit exaggerating, but like, he made a point, I think. And I'm like, you said it, you know, it wasn't even like this when the first two records came out. Like, what do you think has changed? Because I'm seeing it as like, someone who writes about music every week, like I feel more overwhelmed than ever. I'm like, I feel like I'm going through like dozens of albums a week that are of like genuine interest to me. And I'm like, was it always like this? And I didn't realize it or like, like something has changed. I think it's, I think there's a lot of things happening at the same time. Um, One of them is that our access to music is so vast and musicians access to us is so much um easier like when we put out the albatross i i was just thinking about this the other day that when we were putting it out we were so worried about when we were sending it to friends that it would get leaked uh it would be put put on uh you know whatever uh uh like file sharing media fire or something yeah media that's what i was looking for somebody (laughs) is gonna put it on media fire like don't send it to too many friends um 
you know, that that is so laughable now. Like, who cares if you sent it out to everybody and then they put it on some kind of file sharing thing? It's like nobody would know that it's out because if it's not on streaming, if it's not on Apple and Spotify, it's like it doesn't exist. Um, but now it's like if you put between that and also social media and being able to announce things, you're essentially it's like a big press release every time you tweet or say anything, you know, like you're. Uh, hello, a baby, a baby. I am <laughs> Ryan, who we shoot, uh, share the studio with, uh, just brought his baby down here dressed Aww. up in Christmas stuff. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think that that is that's a huge aspect of it is um, the accessibility between uh, fans and artists. Um, and it, because it's like it, I wouldn't say that there's more people making music. I, there's slightly more people, um, you know, because also uh, home studios are so much readily available. It's like, uh, you know, anybody can make a record right now. Um, and I think that that it also ties in. It's kind of like it's always been where it's like your personality kind of is so much a part of you as an artist. Um, but now your personality is so much easier to um, amplify or uh, show to the world via TikTok or Twitter or Instagram. You really, if you're like a a really cool person and a fun person, you make a record. Uh, people really see that, you know, like if you're, if you're an influencer and you also have like a, a pretty good voice, you're like, Hey, you got a real shot at, you know, making a record that has a huge impact. Um, I, I, I think that all of those things, uh, drive me insane. Like they, they drive me really crazy, but I'm also like, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm like a grumpy old musician. Um, where it's like, well, that's not the way we did it. We had to grind. We had to, the only way to do this was to go out and tour and like meet people in person. Um, and you know, kind of, I don't know, like blaze our own path. And now, I mean, you know, all of that work is kind of done via TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, um, which is, you know, I feel like if you talk to somebody significantly younger than me, they would probably be like, that's a really good thing for music. Um, I don't know who's right. You know, I, I hope for their sake that they're right. I hope I'm just being the grumpy old man. <laughs> no, I feel you. And I think, um, I mean, I also think a big part of it too was like just the pandemic and like the fact that it was physically impossible to come up the way like you came up. Um, like, I mean, just comparing you know, the sort of fourth wave emo revival era to like the sort of now like fifth wave emo that we're in. Like, I I mean, I remember my first boxing show. It was at South by Southwest. Uh, I forget the venue, but you guys had, I think, like five or six members squeezed into like seven foot stage. And it was just like, it was like so DIY, so basement show style. Um, And it was just like, yeah, this is like a thing. This is happening. This is like the scene right now. But fast forward like eight to 10 years later, and then there's a pandemic and you, I don't know, you get a band like Home Is Where is like the hottest new emo band and they come out when no one is playing shows and they just have this like record on Bandcamp that like Twitter loves and that's how it worked for them, you know, like, um, and it's just yeah, like, and I think 
different worlds. And I think that it's funny because it's like, you know, I look at, so like home is where um, they, on top of the fact that, you know, like their record is so, so good. Um, their, the, their debut, the I became birds record. It's so, so mm-hmm. good. And they are so uh, magnetic to be around. All of them are just uh, great people that you just want to be friends with. Um, I think that they also are occupying a space with, you know, fifth wave emo that is so difficult to break into at this point. Where again, that same thing I was saying where it's like, you know, the albatross might be like a classic to 500 people. It's like home is where might be a, uh, hot new band to like 500 people. <laughs> there, it's more than that. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, yeah, really maybe like 500 but, per city. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, but I think that it's such a hard space to occupy. And on top of that, to make your music be um, experimental or avant-garde or, you know, uh, I don't know, have a, um, a harmonica in, in your songs, whatever, to play a, a musical saw throughout. It's like, I, I respect that so, so much. I think... Um, I think it's it's never to me it's never like I'm upset with um the artists that they uh that it's working for them to do things via Twitter or TikTok or anything like that. Um I'm actually like really happy for them that that's happening. I only wonder if it's like uh better or worse for our brains as fans of music to consume so so much at the same time. Uh you know what I mean? It's like, you know, you were saying like as as a writer, it's like I'm, I got to cover like 50 bands that put out new music on this Friday. And that's like not all of the uh, releases. That's just the ones that like I'm supposed to think about. Um, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of bands putting out music every Friday, like full length records uh, or EPs or whatever. Um, you know. I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I, I wonder if it's it's good or bad for our brains that it's working like that. Uh, I, I'm not um, a psychologist or a uh, <laughs> an expert enough to actually make that distinction, but it doesn't feel good to yeah. me, I guess. <laughs> it doesn't. I mean, I, I go ahead. Oh, I just I, I mean, it's really like I think it only doesn't feel good to me because it's like I don't spend time with any of these records like i used to you know like um you know i became birds came out i think just using home is where as this example is great because uh we toured with this band they're absolutely amazing uh and just finished their new record by the way um so i'm very excited about that but like i became birds came out i remember seeing it um, in kind of like a sea of a lot of like fifth wave emo conversations and uh, sort of like whatever Twitter kind of discourse stuff. And I listened to it and I was like, this is great. This is wonderful. Um, I, but that, that's about as far as I went with it was like one listen through. Um, and then sort of just like it went away that same week and it became like whoever put out a record the next week. Uh, 
And then when we went on tour with them, it was like leading up to that, I was listening to it more. And then uh, especially seeing it live, I was just so enamored with the whole thing. The All of the songs meant so much more when I went back and listened to them on record. It was so, so great. Uh, but it's it's really sad that it took all of that for me to actually like sit down and listen to the record that way. Um, I think in a different time, I would, somebody would recommend that to me and I would actually like listen to it in my car and really like take time with it or listen to it on headphones or something. Uh, it's just not the way that I consume music anymore. And I don't think it's the way most people do, which makes me really sad when, when I put out music, um, you know, I just put out that Smidley record and it felt very much like, you know, uh, the people that were listening to it were like so into it and like happy with it. And then um, I think a, a, a sea of people that maybe press play on the first song were like, nah, not for me. Uh, it's really sad. It's like he worked so hard on something and like for people to not really take time with it um, or give it a fair shot is a bummer. And that's that's also me having being a part of Foxing, which has like a, a significant, you know, uh, fan base of people that are really like they will take time with it. They are like, I'm going to listen to this, like it or not, and make my decision after like really like thinking about it and reading the lyrics. Uh, it's just it's so much harder for for smaller bands. to yeah, to make a sure. debut that people will actually take time with. Yeah, I mean, I think all of what you said is exactly stuff I think about all the time. Like, say, like, and I wonder too, like, because there's so many factors at once, you know, like, I'm like, is it the way like technology and culture is changing? Is it also just that I'm older? And like, when I was 17, maybe like, I could spend a whole summer listening to one record. And I wonder if just like that becomes harder to do over time also. Um but it's probably everything at once. And I, yeah, I mean, I, I wonder this stuff too. Cause I am, I basically am what you described. Like I kind of miss like really living with an album and just like listening to it again and again and again, and like finding new things. And like now the norm for me is like, if I'm listening to this past the week it came out, it's like kind of a big deal. And like the amount of artists that I fall in love with now on that level that I did 15 years ago or something, it's a lot smaller. And I do think that's probably to some extent just always been the case for music listeners. Um, but it just does feel like a lot compounded at once because it's not just, you know, aging and, and trends changing. It's also all this other stuff with like accessibility and technology and like, and that weird thing where like having every option at once makes it feel like you have like no options. Like, like you can yeah, listen to like millions of albums but it's almost was easier when you just owned like a hundred CDs, you know? Totally. Yeah. That's a, uh, you know, I, I think a lot about it with uh, the way playlisting works with um, single songs, you know, compiled together. <laughs> what a playlist is, is what I just said. But uh, you know, like the, the way that I think that's, it's so much, it's so much harder for me to, listen to a full length record all the way through unless it is being used as kind of like background as opposed to how I used to be able to really listen to an album and like sit down and like, you know, that that's what I'm doing for the next hour is like 
listening to, to a record and um, thinking about it. Uh, I think I think about it all the time. The um, the Sufjan Stevens album, uh, Age of Odds, that was like one of my favorite albums. And I was so excited for it to come out because I, I was a huge fan of Sufjan Stevens, still am. Um, and when it came out, I just remember uh, me and a friend, we bought the CD at Best Buy and we went and threw it in my car. And that's just what we did. We just sat in the parking lot and like listened to it. And we weren't talking. We weren't doing anything. It was just like, no, we're just listening to this great thing. Um, and then after it was over, kind of talking about it as if we just watched a movie. Uh, you know, that, I, and, and I really, really hope that people still do that when albums come out. It's just, I don't ever do that, I guess. Uh, one of the closest things is like the Alex G album came out and I, I was like, Oh, I'm excited to listen to this. This is going to be good, but I still didn't listen to it. I, it was, it's so good. Uh, but I didn't, I wasn't paying attention to it while I was listening to it. It was like, you know, I put it on and like went to the gym or, you know, put it on while I was doing dishes or something. It's like, it's not nearly the same thing. Um, I don't know. Again, this is all like, you know, a lot of, uh, uh what's the word um i'm projecting myself onto the world right now and saying like this is you know we're we're all fucked because i can't listen to a record anymore but <laughs> i do feel like when i talk to people they say the same thing it's like you know this yeah, is yeah uh, i mean we're we're in a place where we're it's like we like playlists and we don't you know and again people wonder why artists put out so many singles <laughs> right no i mean full circle um but yeah no i mean like everything you're saying is for me it's relatable i'm sure it's relatable for a lot of other people and if it's not it's just interesting to hear different perspectives um but yeah like i you know you mentioned your own smidley record like i personally don't think that's an album you can just throw on and do dishes to like i think it kind of it feels like you do have to immerse yourself in it it's a little weirder it's a little deeper like there's a lot there it's rewarding when you do I hope people do it. Um, but, you know, it's not the kind of record that's like going to have a song on a Spotify curated playlist. And, you know, it's just but like, why? Why won't they do that? <laughs> um, but I, I did want to ask about that record, though. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like when the first Smidley record came out, my perspective as a fan was like, OK, this is like Connor can make maybe something that Foxy wouldn't do. At this point, I feel like, what could Foxing not do? Like, it just seems like there's nothing off limits for <laughs> Foxing. Um, so I'm curious, like, what exactly made it a Smidley record? Like, what about those songs where you like, uh, these aren't for the band, these are for me? You know, I think that the way, the way I, when I did the first Smidley record, it was really a matter of, I wanted to prove to myself that I was, like, capable of writing songs by myself. Cause I'd only been, I just been in bands, um, since I was whatever, 12. Uh, and it was like, you know, I, I wrote songs, but like with other people and it was the, the first Midley record was the first time where I was like, I'm going to do this on my own. Uh, and I did that and I was so proud of it. I was so happy with it. Um, and with, you know, uh, whatever, five years later, it's like, 
it was more a time where um when we made draw down the moon it was a lot of you know write out these full songs uh bring them to the band and then we figure out how to make them into foxing songs uh which is such a fun experience um but also frustrating because you kind of have this idea of how a song will kind of come to fruition and how a concept will come across, but it's not just yours. It's, you know, you share it with other people, which again is fun and makes the thing better. In my opinion, it makes it better because it's not one person's, you know, um, like a delusion of a bunch of uh, influences and ideas it's actually three people coming together to make something that is equal parts a compromise and also an amalgamation of what they all three love at the same time. I think that's really cool. Uh, but it also, it does frustrate. I think it frustrates everybody that writes songs. It's like at a certain point, you're like, I just kind of want to make something that is entirely like, you know, start to finish mine. Um, and so that's what this one was. And it was really, uh, I think, I think it was more uh, where the first one was, I want to prove that I can do it. This one was more, um, I want to completely own something all the way through, which is why I played all the instruments on it. Uh, I brought in a few people to do like solos. Um, and then Eric, the guitarist of Foxing who also produces everything for Foxing, uh, mixed this um so i had plenty of help with it but for the most part it, it was like the most mine that I, uh, of something that i've ever made and it was self-released so like i got to like actually own the thing that i i made um so with all of that in mind it's like i kind of before before it came out i was i was like this is just having gotten to the place where it's mastered and it'll be out and people will be able to listen to it is like, that's all I really wanted was, you know, I, I, I accomplished everything that I wanted to accomplish with it. And then everything that comes from it afterwards is a bonus. If people like it is essentially a bonus. Mm -hmm. uh, Are you planning like touring for it or anything? I really, really want to, um, with the Smidley stuff, I, I've done three tours with it that were all like support tours. I've never done a headline tour. So I really want to do a headline tour um, in the new year uh, and then, you know, do support stuff as much as I can. Um, so that, you know, I, I love playing these songs live. We just did our first shows with um, we played with Barty Strange. Uh, it was actually it was funny. It was like a two piece for Smidley where it was just me and uh, uh, the drummer that I work with, Jack. Um, Jack Midiki. He's a really great drummer. And the two of us just uh we played to like tracks and guitar and drums. It was really, really fun. And I love the best part about the Smidley stuff is that it is um where foxing is very serious, like you know, we go so far, we go as far as we can to make it the like the best like spectacle of a show and make it really cool and emotional. The Smidley stuff is just a very carefree fun thing um well it's also supposed to be good we, we do we do play the songs as good as we can uh but yeah i do i really really want to tour on it speaking of barty's you play on his new record right 
Yes. How yeah. did you how did you get linked up with Bartiz and how did you come to collaborate with him? It's funny, uh Bartiz and Eric have been friends for quite a while. Again, Eric, the producer guitarist of Foxing. Um so they uh talked for a long time um just about music stuff uh like well before uh live forever his first record um and they would play fifa together all the time uh and at a certain point um eric was like yeah my friend bartice is putting out this new record and you know it's so good and then it, it blew up and you know it's critically acclaimed and uh and i think around that time um he he said something about the foxing record he really liked the foxing record and then i you know we were messaging back and forth and i was just like i really love your music i think it's awesome and you know i hope that we can all work together and tour together at some point um and then he just threw out and I'm sure I said something about like, if you ever need anything, you know, um, or want to work together, let me know. And then it wasn't long after that, that he, uh, reached out and said, I'm working on this song. I want to put like a horn, a trumpet part in this. Um, would you be interested in doing a horn arrangement? And I was like, of course. Yes. And he sent me this thing and I, I put it in, um, I, I just did the Brooklyn vegan, um, top 10 thing. And I wrote, I wrote this in this, but it was really funny. It was like, he sent this thing to me and I thought for sure this was like a single. Um, but he was like, yeah, no, I'm like almost done with my new record. It was like less than a year after live forever was out. It was insane. Uh, and that's, I mean, on top of the fact that it's just a really great song, heavy heart. Uh, I was also just like, you work so, so hard, you know, like I, I can already tell that you were just like, an absolute lifer, just somebody that is like me, that's just like addicted to making, you know, music, recording and writing music. Um, that is, uh, I don't know. It's just really cool to see that when you're, um, I don't know, in, in the place where I am now, where I'm kind of like jaded and uh, I don't know again, like I'll always on the verge of being like, maybe I should stop making music or something. It's, it's great to see somebody like that who cares so, so much, um, and wants to work all the time. Uh, it's just a very inspiring thing. So I was so happy to be a part of it. And that song rules. It's so good. I got, I played with them on those shows that Smidley opened. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, and it was it was really really fun, and also that his band is absolutely insane good. I don't know if you saw them when they came through New York. I um, saw them at Governor's Ball last year. I don't know if it's the same band or not. Um, I think it's mostly the same band. Yeah, well, they were um, great. Yeah, they're one of the tightest bands I've ever scene and it was funny it was like watching them i'm like wow they are so so good and then when i was just playing trumpet with them just being on the stage with them I'm like this band is so together at all they're all so locked in and all of them are like producers so they all really care about 
the way everything sounds. It's not just kind of like a plug and play, like jam around thing. They care so, so much about it. It's like, I don't know. It, I mean, it reminds me of, uh, you know, I don't know, seeing just any of uh, any band where you walk away um, after the show. Like I, I remember seeing um, uh, Yola Tango and just like leaving the show and being like, this band has been playing together for so, so long and they all give a shit. <laughs> They're all like really locked in together. That's that's what Bartiz was like. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I definitely think I don't this will also sound kind of jaded and grumpy, but I feel <laughs> like uh, in this now that like, you know, you one person can make a record at home and it can really take off. You see a lot of like bands formed so this artist can go on tour versus like bands form as a band. Um, and so I feel like sometimes not going to name names, but sometimes you see an artist, you're like, I love your record, but it kind of looks like you just hired someone to play bass and they're maybe not gelling with you. And so when you see a band like really like everyone's locked in with each other, it's just like the best feeling and so inspiring, I think. Oh, totally. I mean, I think that Bartiz is right in the middle of those two things you just said where, and I, you know, I'm, I'm um, speaking for him. I feel like he, he would have a totally different answer to this, but what it looks like and what it feels like is that it's a wrote two records where I absolutely you know, uh, owned the production of and really like made everything sound exactly the way I want to. So it's like bringing in a band where it really feels like a band, uh, where everybody is understanding the ultimate vision for it, you know? So it's not necessarily like it's a band where we all kind of like collaborate and make a new thing out of it. It's more like everybody understands the vision it's almost like rule one is like, you know, bring the best version of what's on record to life in front of people so that they're seeing like, you know, when I saw them, I was like, all of my favorite songs from this record have completely flipped. It's like the songs that uh, the song cosigns on his new record. I was like, this is actually my favorite song on the record now, now that I've seen it live. Um it was, it's crazy. And again, I think that that is a huge part of that is, uh, that band really all kind of gelling and being on the same page. Like this is the ultimate goal here. Yeah. Very cool. And yeah, I mean, of course it's, you know, totally possible to do that. Like not, I don't want to diss anybody who's like a solo artist with a band. Obviously that's, you know, no, but, no, uh, yeah. but yeah, it seems, it seems like he's really assembled a group of people who, really do share his vision and like bring it to life. And, you know, I think that there's also a level of some artists are really, really great solo artists that aren't necessarily like natural band leaders. Um, you know, and then some people are really, really great band leaders that can like lead, a, you know, a jazz quartet just, you know, naturally so well, but not necessarily great songwriters. I think that, you know, he's just somebody that can do both. Um, and I, I, it helps when you have just world-class musicians uh, who are For just sure. so, so talented in the first place. So you've mentioned Foxing LP5 a few times during this conversation. <laughs> um, I remember reading, I think it was Michael Tedder's interview with you on your last record or with the whole band 
Um, and the article said that Foxing's next album could be the angriest, heaviest thing they've made yet. Going full Slipknot is not off the table. Um, how much does that quote still hold up compared to what you've been working on? Oh, it's what we want to do. You know, it's it's so hard because there's so many things in the way of making it be. I'm literally looking at a Slipknot sticker uh, next to a Deftone sticker on the computer right now. Um, it's uh, <laughs> it's we love heavy music a lot. And what we want to do is make something that is, uh, you know, an uninhibited, angry, distressed album because it's kind of, I don't know, it's just natural, I think, to feel angry and distressed right now um, in the world. And I don't know, as an artist making a fifth record, you know, with a decade under your belt, it's like, it's, you know, you want to let off some steam. So we want to do that. Um, and we have been writing extremely heavy music, um, that I think sounds really, really awesome. I think the, the biggest things that we, that are in our way that we are trying to figure out are, um, one to not be genre tourists. You know, we don't want to make a metal record, you know, as, as indie rock guys, you know, we want to make something that we actually, that would stand up to people that like, you know, heavy music, which is why it's, not, I, I, you know, metal is not the right word. I don't think we're making anything that is purely like, it's not death metal or anything like that. Um, but it's that we also don't want to, we want to make everything, every record we've ever made has been, extremely in earnest and sincere so we don't want to make something that is like funny you know like oh they're you know making a new metal record how ironic and funny uh that is you know so far from what we want to do and even just those two things are really difficult to navigate because you know um we're not practiced at uh like my scream is not like a great metal scream or, you know, screamo scream. It's, it's just, uh, it's me yelling full voice. So I've been practicing different styles of screaming, um, to a, try to get more longevity out of my voice, but then also to kind of have like a different sound to everything. Um, and then on top of that, we're also, we're trying very hard. Like every time we get together and work on any of these songs, we're trying very hard not to like, um, force ourselves into a corner of saying like, this is going to be like a heavy, uh, loud, angry album. It could have, you know, like acoustic songs or like electronic songs or something. Um, so I think all of that being said, it's like, uh, yeah, I, I <laughs> Slipknot is not off the table still. Uh, and I really, really hope that it, ends up becoming you know something really angry um and you know we've been talking about maybe it makes more sense to do like a a shorter thing like a like an ep or something like that to really like you know not break off like two years of working on something and then get to the end and be like this feels like genre tourism mm-hmm 
Well, even Slipknot have acoustic songs and, you know, quiet. They do, stuff. and I, I don't like those, though. Really? <laughs> I actually really I'm, like Slipknot's a, pretty songs. <laughs> I think they're... Here's the thing. With Slipknot, I appreciate, um, you know, Corey Taylor singing stuff. I appreciate it a lot. He's got an incredible voice. Uh, to me... I think the first two Slipknot albums, self-titled in Iowa, are the ones that I gravitate towards so much because they're so, they feel evil in a lot of ways. It's like, it feels like something I'm not supposed to be listening to. And it was because I wasn't supposed to be listening to it when I was a kid. Um, and that's the kind of thing that I kind of always focus on with heavy stuff is the things that actually put like fear in your heart. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm also... I'm so uh, uninformed when it comes to heavy stuff. I have to like really, um, uh, really listen to John and Eric because they're way more versed in, um, you know, metal and 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 heavy heavy things. I just know the things I like. I guess that's it. Right. Well, I hope we get some heavy foxing because I can see it, <laughs> and I think you have a great scream. Thank you. Um, and yeah, and I, it's like when I read that, I was like, wait a minute, like I can picture this already. It sounds awesome. So <laughs> I'm keeping my fingers crossed for some heavy foxing. I hope so too. And I hope, I feel like I've talked about it a few times where I'm like, yeah, we want to make something really, really loud and angry. And I feel like it's building up, uh, like we have to do it now or something, but mm-hmm. you know, we might not. The next thing might be like an acoustic album. You never know. <laughs> And I mean, sometimes the really heavy stuff and the really acoustic stuff go together really well, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I know you're, you have a close relationship with like Manchester Orchestra. I feel like they sometimes have kind of metal songs on the same record as like folk songs. Oh, totally. I, I would love, I would love if this record was like Iowa meets Carrie and Lowell. That'd be cool. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> um, so one thing I wanted to ask about, I know, you know, you're usually pretty vocal about um, the struggles that bands face, even in this conversation. Obviously, one of the big things happening right now is this big conversation around like touring and like the finances behind it and how feasible is it really? I was just curious, like, what's your take on sort of that whole conversation? Um, I think it's always been rough to be a touring musician. And I think now more than ever, it is just, it's so miserable to, um, not just deal with, uh, how little you make at the end of a tour, but also to kind of have to deal with the discourse around it, I think is just so, so rough. And I feel like people see it and they see artists, um, you know, kind of lamenting about like, this is a struggle. This is really hard. We're doing six months of touring and making nothing off of it or whatever we're making is like, you know, this is not a living wage. Um, I think people see that and there are a lot of people's first uh, kind of reaction to that is to just attack the <laughs> musician right away and be like, you chose to do this. Why don't you get a different job or something? And it's like, Oh my God. Like you, that's not, I, I don't know. It's insane. Um, I think there's also a level of like, you know, people being like complaining about tickets being so expensive all the time. 
Um, and you're like, I feel like, uh, or merch being too expensive. That's another thing that I keep seeing. It's like, it feels like the only thing that people expect to be recession proof is uh, live music. They're like, this is the, you know, you truly like the gas that you put in your car to get to the show. Think about that. But for like a sprinter van with a trailer driving across the country, it's like, this is, it's insane. Uh, you know, with inflation and gas prices and not to mention hotels, we can't stay at people's houses anymore. Foxing can't do that. You know, like there's eight of us in a van all the time. Um, and the saddest thing to me is I know that when we look at it, when we look at upcoming tours, what we have to say is, okay, do we really need to bring out um, this amount of people? You know, like, can we get away with doing it with uh, four people in the band? Um, can we get away with doing it with uh, front of house, like at the venues, you know, or uh, lighting that's not our lighting? Uh, can we do our own merch? All of these things. And each one of those things is really bad. It's, it makes the show so much worse for everybody that's there. Um, and, you know, or, or we're like, you know, can we get away with having two hotel rooms instead of three where everybody's like piling in? Uh, and you're like, it, you know, every single one of these things just makes it so much worse and makes the experience a lot worse for everybody involved. And also, um, the show just like gets significantly worse for the people watching. Uh, and when you make the merch prices be like, okay, it's going to be like $25 for a t-shirt and people are like, oh, I'm not going to pay that. It's like, okay. But you also like, you do pay that when you buy like shirts, you know, <laughs> like, or like a hoodie is going to be $45 or something. You're like, it needs to be more than that for us to make money off of it. So what you're kind of doing is forcing us to make it on like cheaper cloth, you know, like cheaper blanks. Um, you know, I, again, I think that the people that this affects the most are um, the smallest bands uh, because it's already a struggle to get the word out and say, we're playing a show in your hometown. You know, they're algorithmically crushed into oblivion when they're putting up posters for shows. Um so it's already very, you know, like less people are going to your show. You're competing with way more bands. But on top of that, the gas is so expensive, uh, you know, and people are like, oh, I'm not going to buy a shirt or a record or whatever. It's just it's it's so sad to watch. And I don't know what the solution is other than. I don't know, people. Uh, a buying more merch from these bands online and in person and also like going to the shows and then more than anything, just like not attacking them when they're just trying to like, you know, vent frustration on the internet about like, this is really hard. And like, you know, if a band cancels a tour or cancels a show in your town, not being like, I know that you hate, uh, you know, St. Louis because you never come here. It's like, well, we can't feasibly go there. Like we just, it's impossible for us to. Um, yeah, I don't know. I hope things magically get better, but I just, you know, you, you kind of look at it and you're like, it's always gotten worse. I think it's going to keep getting worse and it'll just get to a point where like 
lot of these bands you like just won't make records anymore or they won't they'll make records but they won't tour on it um there is there is a point in our band's career where we toured more days out of the year than we were home you know we were like actually we looked at our year and we were like we were on we were in a van more than we were in our own homes this year uh and that wasn't like us making a ton of money but we were like it was possible for us to do that you know like uh <laughs> i mean we were making very very little money but it's like that is something i cannot imagine being able to do now not just because you know we've been doing it for so long but more than that because it's like financially i think that would be impossible um you know yeah it's just it, it's sad to look around and and be like um a new band that's making a debut album uh that you love it's like chances are they're not going to be around for a super long time because it's just like this is not it doesn't make enough money to put it into another record you know like you have to do it because you love it and if you're also working another job especially like a full-time job you don't have enough you don't have time to like go out and tour on something your job won't let you take you know four weeks off to tour the country and hit all of the cities that want to see you yeah do do you think there's ever like a possible future for foxing where you made records and didn't tour not that you necessarily would want that but just if it got to the point where you were like you know what i don't think we can be a touring band anymore i think that i mean i don't know it's like i I almost I, I fear the question just because it is so much for me. It's such a integral part of our band. Um, you know, uh, since I was a kid, it's like this is what I knew I wanted my job to be was to write, record, and perform music. That's like that's it, you know. And it's really sad to look around. And, and again, it's like I recognize the privilege of my situation. Um, we have a great fan base when we tour. We play to, you know, average of 300 people a night. That's that's amazing. That is such a incredible thing that I'm so thankful that we have. Um, but I can also say that it's like the amount of money that comes in from doing that per per year is so much less than I'm sure people realize. You know, I, I'm always tempted to like uh, <laughs> like you know, tweet a picture of my taxes or something to be like, this is like, this is what we made this year. It's like, you know, if you, if you think that, uh, bands smaller than us are making more, like you are vastly mistaken and like, you know, maybe cough up five more bucks for a t-shirt or something. Um, you know, I, I think personally, I, I don't think we would really put out music if we couldn't tour on it. Um, I think I would person like I would put out like Smidley records or something, but for us to come together and make a foxing record, I think is such an investment of time and money that it's like, um, you know, to do that and for it to just be released like digitally, uh, would be, I don't know. It would feel really, it feel really weird and seems impossible. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, Connor, this has been awesome. Do you have anything else you want to add before we go? I don't think so. I think I think that's um, 
I don't think I have anything to plug. All right. Well, in that case, thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And um, uh, to everybody at Brooklyn Vegan, thank you for always covering the things that we do. I think it's, uh, I don't know. It's my favorite, my favorite of, uh, of the music sites. Brooklyn Vegan's awesome. That's super nice of you, Connor. It's our pleasure. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Thanks again to Connor. Stay tuned for Foxing LP5 and hopefully some 10th anniversary plans for the Albatross. And again, if you haven't heard Spidley's new record, Here Comes the Devil, I really recommend it. Go check it out. Thanks again. See you next time.